Welcome to the Scaling Japan podcast. I'm your host, Tyson Batino. And on today's episode, we have Jeff Crawford. He is the CEO of Zoe Digital Japan. They are a digital marketing agency based in Tokyo that provides SEO, content marketing, PPC, advertising, digital PR, and help many overseas companies in entering the Japan market. As well as foreign minded Japanese companies. And on today's episode, we'll be focusing on SEO and SCM in Japan. I personally consider myself an intermediate level SEO practitioner, better than most people, and I've had a lot of great successes. But Jeff is definitely in the master realm and one of two people who I consult with whenever there's something I don't know and can't solve. But before we talk more about SEO in Japan, I would like to introduce today's sponsor, Engine Media. Engine Media specializes in video, photography, and social media for automotive brands, as well as other SMEs in Japan. Today's topic is on SEO with an SEO master. And one way to boost your SEO is having many people coming from social media to your website. So support the podcast and yourself by checking them out at enginemedia.com forward slash scaling, and you'll discover resources that help you plan and execute your video marketing. That's E-N-J-I-N media.com forward slash scaling. Now back to the episode. That's probably one of the longest introductions <laughs> I've ever given, but please introduce yourself, Jeff. Okay, thank you so much, Tyson. Thanks for having me on the show. I've been a, an active listener on your show, so I'm really happy to be here. So actually, I got started as an OS developer for Apple for nine years in Silicon Valley, and then another, let's see, five or six years at Microsoft. And during that time, I was doing a lot of development around it's basically computers that are used by hundreds of millions of people. And so I developed a really passion for UI and user experience. 2004, I got, after 16 years of Silicon Valley lifestyle, I decided to start something new and I moved to Tokyo. Uh, and it's from there, I worked five years at MSN Online and then another five years at Adobe Systems Japan. During that time, I was mostly uh, like managing teams of people, sort of learned how things operate in Japan. And then when I was at Adobe, they, if you remember, they bought a analytics company called Omniture. And at that time I was introduced uh. to digital marketing and analytics stuff. And to me, analytics is really interesting because I just, I don't know, I naturally enjoy analyzing data. And so if you think about my past, it's been about user experience and it's been about analyzing data. So that's when I decided digital marketing is the right field for me. Took a long time for me to get there, but I finally got <laughs> there. Yep. Uh, and then after that, I struck out on my own in 2014. Uh, I started up a company that was marketing to dance and music schools. That didn't work out. I shut that down after a year. But during that time, I also started doing consulting on the side. And I had people coming to me saying, hey, can you help me with my Google Ads campaign? Hey, Jeff, help me with my analytics. And I started helping more and more uh, clients. 
And then eventually I got enough clients that I founded Zoe Digital Japan in 2018. Mm. And then after that business grew and I had to hire staff. So these days, like Zoe Digital Japan, we, as you said, we mostly help overseas clients with SEO and digital marketing services. We also help what we call foreign-minded Japanese companies as well, companies that want to up, you know, target both uh, English and Japanese users. Oh yeah, one more thing too. So at that time, kind of parallel to that whole thing, 2016, I started an event called Tokyo Digital Marketers. And at the time, honestly, I didn't really know that many people in digital marketing. And so I said, I want to join one of these events. Well, there wasn't one, so I started my own. And since then, that event has grown. We have something like 2,600 people on the mailing list at this time. And we typically get like 50 uh, people to each event. That's been really good in terms of like expanding my own network. And, you know, a lot of good things have come out of that. You know, people have gotten jobs, uh, career changes, uh, introductions, you know, partnerships on different projects. So it's, it's, it's been really, it's been a really, really good thing to see grow. And for anyone uh, who is marketing minded, I highly recommend joining their events. Uh, I, I used to join when I used to live in Yokohama and some of the presenters is, you know, sometimes Jeff is able to get overseas presenters as well, but the domestic ones overseas, they're really good presenters and I, I highly recommend it. And I send my full-time staff member usually once a month or once every two months. So I highly recommend it. But yes, let's dive into SEO. So uh, so I guess the first question is, probably people might be on what exactly is SEO? Uh, yeah, I'm not very good at definitions. If you want the layman's definition, it's like dressing up your website for a date with the Google prom. You know? <laughs> Basically... If somebody searches for something in a search engine like Google or Bing, um, you want them to hopefully find your site first before they find others. And so it's all about optimizing your site, your contents, or whatever to meet that searcher's intent. That's what SEO is. Cool. We'll dive deeper into that. I mean, it's it's much harder than it used to be. I think like in the 2000s, you would just, you would put the keyword at the bottom. You might have like a red background and you, <laughs> yes. and you, and you put it in red font. Yes. We call that <laughs> keyword stuffing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Google has since become much more sophisticated. <laughs> yes. And we'll go into detail, but Yes, I guess the second for a lot of the listeners are business owners. Mm -hmm. And uh, why and when should a company consider using SEO? Well, that's a good question. So, um, yeah, first off, you have to ask yourself, do I want to get customers from search engines? You know, what's the purpose of my site? I mean, if the purpose of your site is just to support existing customers, maybe you don't care about SEO. Or maybe if you're Apple, <laughs> maybe you're <laughs> so strong, you have such a high authority, you don't have to care about SEO. But most companies do. They do want to be found uh, on search engines. And so you do care. Um, yeah. And, and what types of companies? I think even at the beginning, you know, whether you're a startup 
or even a person considering a startup, you need to think a lot about, well, how is my business going to be found on the web? Excellent answer. What type of companies can benefit from using SEO? Oh, okay. So uh, basically all companies. <laughs> so yeah, like I, like I said, I mean, if you're serious about getting visitors to your website for whatever reasons, yeah, you'd want to care about SEO. Like I said, from one person startups to all the way up to major companies. Now, major companies have like whole teams dedicated <laughs> to the science. So, you know, it can vary from like one person up to teams. And just to give a use case, so like in my case, I think I rank number one for executive coach in Tokyo or executive coach in Japan. So for me, that's a really great term to have because I can get executive coaching clients who are yep. searching exactly for that. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Yeah. And um, it's not that hard to use a free keyword tool to like find out what the search volume is of any given type of keyword. Uh, by the way, keep in mind a keyword is not just a single word. It's really a phrase. People sometimes get that confused. But yeah, I think um, if you're like thinking about starting out, I think one of the first things you should do is open up a free keyword tool like Uber Suggest and just try to find out like how many people search for a particular phrase each month and decide if you want to target your business around that phrase. Because yes, sometimes it might not justify the amount of work, right? Yeah. You also have to consider uh, how much money is behind that keyword. If you want to target something like Prime Minister Kishida's age, well, that's good. <laughs> and you might rank for that, but what's that going to get you? But obviously something like you're targeting or anything with like consultant in the name or agency in the name. Yeah. Chances are when somebody's searching for that, they have their wallet attached to that search and that'll give you much more value. We'll talk about SEM later. Like for that executive coach search term. I think there are three results above mine that are all paid. Oh, yeah, we should clear that up right now just for starters. So anytime you do a search, you're going to see the top three or four. Well, if there's money involved in that keyword, the top three or four terms, you might see a little tiny little icon that says add or, you know, in Japanese, you see the you know, kokoku ad, you know, phrase or something. Google's always changing how that looks. But <laughs> those first three items that are just text are actually paid ads. And then after that comes what we call your organic search results or non-paid listings, you know, so to speak. And each of those is a completely different world. <laughs> the second part, which we call organic listings, that's what SEO is all about. And I think later on, we're going to talk more about the paid listings piece. You know, for the bigger companies, they have an agencies, you know, people who work on pay-per-click and SEM do one thing and people who work on organic listings are another thing. And the teams sometimes don't even talk to each other. It's like two different worlds. The other thing that's interesting is those paid ads at the top that is something like a 40 to 60 billion dollar a year business for google just those text ads at the top they're that valuable and it's, it's a pretty amazing <laughs> business for them 
it is a cash printing machine. Absolutely. If there ever was one. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, and just for the audience, if there's a company you really, really like and you search for them in Google, uh, you can throw them a bone by not clicking on the paid ad because they're going to have to pay maybe one, maybe even <laughs> yes. just for yes. that. <laughs> it's giving money to Google if you click on those ads. You could maybe clarify a little bit more about like maybe the benefits of SEO just because of maybe the stage in the customer journey. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's take a very simple customer journey like awareness you know, and consideration and then purchase something like that. If somebody's in the beginning and they don't even know who your company is or what your product is, they might search for something like how to cure a headache, you know? And so you want to target not sales pages, but probably your contents to meeting that search or intent. Well, what are the options? And then maybe at some point in the article, you get towards the bottom and it might be, well, you might want to think about some sort of natural remedy or something like that. Um, and then the user might come back again and say, okay, I'm looking for some sort of natural remedy or something. And then that article could be very different, could have like a list of choices, right? Uh, ending with yours with a link to the sales page where you sell that. Uh, and then they could search again and they'd be like, well, I want your thing, Jeff's pills <laughs> um, <laughs> at best price, right? So that's coming at what you'd say, like the bottom of the funnel, like they're ready to purchase and they're, they're just looking to either your know, best price or where they can get it. Uh, that type of stuff. So that kind of gives you an idea. I mean, users can come in at all different levels in terms of the customer journey or the marketing funnel. They can come, out, they can come in through search all different ways. Cool. Yeah. That's kind of the key point. Also, you could do like an Instagram ad, like the person might not be searching. They might actually not be interested in what you're offering or not even searching. But, you know, if they search on Google, you know, they're they're looking for it or looking for something similar. And I think you talked a bit about discovery. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, keep in mind when you're clicking on like a Facebook or Instagram ad, the intent at that time is quite low. So you can't take them from like an ad directly to a purchase page unless you're selling toothpaste or something simple like that. Most of the time, you just have to get them to do something simple and then let them get back to Facebook and Instagram and then pick them up later. However, by comparison, search ads, which are usually much more expensive, the searcher intent is astronomically higher. And so you're much more likely to convert off of a search ad. Cool. Thanks for confirming that and kind of explaining why a company should consider SEO. So you've helped, I think, two friends of mine. And in both cases, uh, they're very happy with the <laughs> service you provided. I won't say their names, but I'm just curious, like, how have you helped customers in launching a SEO marketing strategy in Japan? Yeah, so a couple of things we've done. One is there's a company in the payment space, which is, I guess I would call them a, an evolved or well-funded startup at this point. We grew their business from, I say their traffic to the site. I can't say traffic numbers, but it was very, very small when we started. And now probably almost a 50X improvement to over two years time by writing really effective SEO driven content and making sure that that content refers them to their sales pages. But yeah, so that's one success story that we've had. Uh, we've also helped a major 
CRM and uh, marketing automation company uh, come into Japan. They already had like uh, several hundred articles in Japanese already, but they were kind of a mismatch of stuff. We reorganized those contents into what we call topic clusters. And by doing that, even with the same contents and adding some additional contents, we got like a 7x improvement in traffic in one year. So gotcha. that's like, yeah, some other stuff we've done. We've also done some like link building outreach type stuff just by reaching out to, in this case, it was like mommy bloggers for a company that sells like blinds and roll screens online. Uh, so we got like a bunch of, you know, we'd seed them with the product and the mommy bloggers would use it, interior designers, that type of crowd. So they would install it and take pictures. They'd put it on Instagram too, and they would write about it. And, you know, when Google sees all these external sites writing about your brand, they're like, whoa, wow, that's something, you know, and they start to see you right as an authority in the field and then that really helped their search rankings for their products and so that was like a big growth factor for them as well yeah no i liked how you covered the various uh cases like situations where the first one was you know you're kind of starting from scratch so like building someone's seo presence from scratch Mm -hmm. uh, the second case is helping someone who's, in this case, sounds like they're more at the beginner SEO level and uh, they just produce a ton of content. Yep. But when you bring in an expert like yourself, just making those magic tweaks that you've learned through pretty much probably years <laughs> and years and years of uh, trial and error. We've made our mistakes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not exaggerating. It's They had the material already, mm -hmm. but you just being the Google masters that you are, you put it mm -hmm. in a way that is more friendly for Google and makes mm -hmm. it easier to kind of go up. And I think the other one is you have that network already and that you can help kind of get more links to certain sites because you already have the network already. And also, you know how to talk to them and kind of convince them to actually link to your website. Sorry, the reason I summarize is because I think our, we do have a lot of owners who listen to the podcast, business owners, and uh, you might be getting some decent results. But, you know, sometimes when you work with a pro, they can really, you know, five, in this case, seven X what you already have. Mm -hmm. Yes. But yeah. And also, like, I'm really big on SEO as well. Like for our Japanese language school, uh, we get about probably 60K now, 50, 60K visitors a month. And it is beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, it's nice once you get an audience continually coming to your site. So, I mean, that's the nice thing about SEO is it takes a while to get going. It takes a long time to write effective quality contents, you know, and do whatever you have to do to get the traffic to your site. But once it starts coming, you can't turn it off, right? <laughs> it keeps coming and coming and coming. So, you know, that's the good thing about SEO. It's not free traffic by any means because you have to spend time at it and develop it and continue at it. But it's a lot better than, say, paid content where you're basically renting instead of owning, right? And you have to pay every month for each click. So, you know, over time, yeah, SEO is definitely a much better value for your business. Yeah, and a lot of companies, sometimes they get hooked on the Instagram gravy train. You know, things go well in the beginning. You tap out that source who's ready to buy, and then your Instagram ad spend, like, <laughs> just goes through the roof. 
Yeah, that's another thing too, as a business owner is you shouldn't put all your eggs into one basket. It's good to have multiple sources of traffic because you never know. Someday Instagram might change their algorithms. Someday Google might change their algorithms. We had some big updates just recently. You know, if you have multiple streams, you always have something you can fall back on if one of them gets shut off or diminished in some way. No, I think, yeah, that is a very important point to mention. So I think we we did a very detailed uh, deep dive into like how <laughs> SEO can benefit. I wanted to give another big shout out to our supporter, Engine Media. Customers make purchasing decisions based on trust and messages that resonate with them. Engine Media utilizes a next generation consumer insights technology created by a neuroscientist based in Tokyo. They can create psychologically resonant visuals and messaging that leads to decisions. In addition to helping you improve your video marketing and social media game, Engine Media can also help you with your recruitment branding videos. So reach out to them at enjinmedia.com forward slash scaling. Cool. And so I guess my next question is, what search engines are popular in Japan and uh, how are they similar and how are they different to ones used overseas? Yeah, we have a article where we track the search engine market share in Japan. It's actually a wash because Google, get the number, it's over 80% or somewhere around 80% market share right now. Next is Yahoo Japan, which is somewhere around 13 plus or minus a few points. But Yahoo actually uses Google's search engine. So (laughs) if you optimize for Google, you're also optimizing for Yahoo. Uh, We did see a slight uptake for Bing last year. I think that might be due to the chat GPT stuff. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. But basically for Japan, at least other countries are different, of course, but for Japan, just optimizing for Google is, is enough. Cool. And uh, are there differences in like search behavior between Japanese versus maybe Westerners? Yeah, I think there's some. I would say many cases it's the same, but you got to take into account the differences of basically living in Japan versus other countries. People tend to browse more on a mobile device. So, I mean, a lot of times we've looked at analytics, you know, analytics in the U.S. or some other country and then analytics in Japan, and you see a much higher uh, usage rate. And people are actually more likely to purchase on on a mobile device. It's very common for people to purchase things like airline tickets and whatnot, all from a mobile device without going to a PC. So that's one thing that I can think of. I mean, they're just basic differences you know in terms of like search patterns i mean there's lots of small stuff like they use a lot more synonyms they tend to use the location more state the location name whereas in english you might say near me or around me type stuff what else can i say i mean you also have to consider just there's language differences there's geographical differences. I mean, Japan is a country surrounded by water, right? And so when people like search for things, they tend to search for things like inside the country or outside the country, or they tend to think of things, phrases like inbound and outbound, not like you would use those phrases in marketing. Mm. So you need to think about those types of things. And then sometimes there's phrases like 
DX, which stands for Digital Transformation. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds English, like it's an English it phrase. It's the letter D, the letter X, but phrases like that have a huge you know, search volume right now in Japan. And um, whereas you won't see much search volume for English speaking countries. So yeah, you need to just be aware of uh, search patterns and how they're different and, and what people search for. You probably know better than I would, but uh, one thing that I see with like my clients is uh, one thing that I thought was interesting is the word Kodomo. Mm -hmm. And there's three different ways of writing Kodomo, like uh, like double kanji. It yep. could be in katakana yes. for some reason. I've discovered through my yeah. clients, the trendy way is ko as in small, like in kanji, yeah. and <laughs> domo as in hiragana. And I was like, oh my God. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. So I think Google's much better now than it used to be at recognizing all those as the same thing. Um, so you don't need to go too crazy, <laughs> you know, <laughs> list out all five spellings on your yeah. title. Um, but I think it does help to use a natural mix of those words in your paragraph text to say, hey, you know, we're, we're basically talking uh, about the same thing. No, cool. That's really interesting. Oh, uh, one other thought, like you're mentioning just like, you know, the high penetration rate of mobile. And in, in my case, like pretty much I just do a lot of things with targeting mothers, but uh, I also do a lot of uh, management advice. Mm -hmm. And one time when my staff, when they interview when they interview a Japanese woman re-entering the workforce, or even like um, a man like in their 50s, sometimes I'll tell them, uh, or if they're interviewing a man in their 50s or 60s, I would always tell my client, like, check their computer skills and see how <laughs> they react. And oftentimes, like, you'll get like a reaction like, oh my God. And like, mm -hmm. because they've used only mobile that they forgot how they use the computer. That's right. <laughs> yeah. That also can affect, like, if you're targeting B2B companies in Japan, you know, you got to remember that the decision maker might be one of these types of 60-year-olds who's just not used to using a computer. And so the model is, this is why downloadable PDFs are a really effective technique, because the model should be a younger staffer is going to find it on the web. He's going to download it print it out and then put it on his boss's desk for you know, approval. And so you need to sort of think that way in Japan where that might not happen somewhere else. Interesting. Yeah, no, thanks for covering that. And uh, are there any other unique challenges of doing SEO in Japan? Oh, there's so many, but, uh, <laughs> you know, um, we've talked a little bit about the language differences. As you know, there's three different scripts and you just have to take into account for that. Japanese has no spaces between words. So that's another thing. You can't count words like you can in other languages. And it sometimes affects how people search. But yeah, we talked about the geographical differences. Uh, it's obviously a very <laughs> highly populated country. Uh, people tend to commute by mass transit much more. Um, Business culture, too, is, you know, it's a very highly relationship-based business culture. I should also add about the language, too. It's it's a very high-context language. I'm 
pretty sure you you know what I'm talking about, and you've probably discussed it before. Sometimes that just comes out in terms of search patterns and, and how things are mm. handled. Um, and then, you know, I think if you're doing stuff like outreach and things like that, you have to be careful about privacy. There's new privacy laws that you you have to take into account. And now to throw to make things even more exciting, yeah. there's these new stealth marketing laws as well. So now there's all this um, additional disclosure requirements that that websites have to do in Japan. So yeah, all these things I'd say are Japan specific that actually affect how you do SEO. I think in our case, we actually, I think had our competitor, like we forgot to disclose one thing and I think they mentioned it to like the Better Business Bureau or something. They so complain. we had to, yeah, they come, one of our competitors complained and we had to uh, do all that stuff afterwards. Mm-hmm. So your business is doing well. Your was the competitors might try. To yes, do. yes, yes. <laughs> and uh, so I think this is an important concept for uh, the listeners to know. But could you explain what E E A T and okay. uh, why should they care? Yeah, yeah. So maybe about two years ago, Google started talking about expertise, authority, and trust. Uh, in terms of how they rate websites. And then later on, they added an additional E called experience. And let me just back up for a second. Um, The way Google's algorithms work has drastically changed in the last five years or so. Um, It's now all about machine learning and training the algorithms to identify uh, high quality websites. And the nice thing is, is they actually have this small army of people, quality raters that do this. And the purpose of them is to basically train the algorithms. And well, how do they rate such sites? And they actually publish this quality rater guidelines, uh, which is really nice to read. Um, And those quality rater guidelines talk about these four concepts, experience, expertise, authority, and trust. And so you have to look at your website in that type of light and decide, you know, do I have a high authority website? What's involved with that? Uh, How about levels of trust? Like, do you have trust markers on your site? Examples of trust might be certifications or awards. Another thing might be testimonials, testimonials from well-known people. Those types of things can help you build trusts. Uh, authority, there's both on your site, you know, external to your site, are people mentioning you? When they talk about the business, you know, are they talking about you in particular? Expertise, I think, is more about just writing good content and showing that you you understand the topic that you're focusing on and experience is pretty simple too but it does matter is like when i come to the website do i see a bunch of pop-up ads and (laughs) trash like that or do i have like a really good experience on the website that i want to come back so those once again google's training its algorithms around those concepts and so if you look at your own website and say, hey, am I the best I can be? There's a good chance that you could be better. 
Why are these factors like so important for Google in guiding how they design their algorithm? You can just see how things are evolving. Like earlier, we talked about in the old days, you could just stuff a bunch of keywords on the site <laughs> and, and have it rank. And, and they know that, right? And so they're looking at taking their algorithms to the next level um, and really find good quality content that meets the searcher's intent. That's what they're trying to do. I mean, for many, many years, people could get ahead for a while gaming the system. And from my experience, the number of people gaming the system is it's going down over time where you're either forced to write good quality content or have a good digital PR campaign uh, or just have a good quality site experience. You know, it's really hard to game the system these days. Excellent. No, thanks for covering that. I think, and, and because Google is just so much better than the other, you know, like Bing, for example, let's say Google wants to maintain that foothold as the premier. You know, I think things are evolving really, really quickly. The rate at which new changes come online from Google now is increasing much faster. You know, in terms of how it's evolving, now there's lately there's been this huge emphasis on helpful contents. They came out with the helpful contents update. That's been a big thing. Lately, they're really looking at UGC content, user-generated content, mm. uh, things like reviews and review sites or feedback or comments at the end of articles, um, Amazon reviews, that type of stuff. Um, that's being, what I can assume is that they've kind of mastered like what's quality feedback and real content, user-generated content versus spam or trash or people trying to game the system such that they're now factoring that into their algorithms. So like in the US, sites like Reddit and Quora have had huge jumps lately. Japan, there's been some uh, review sites as well that have had big jumps. And I think uh. it, I think what that means is the algorithms are just much better at going, okay, you know, we trust this content. It looks real. It's done by real people. So now we're going to factor it into our rankings. Interesting. And how has AI affected SEO recently? AI is making a mess of things. <laughs> so as it has affected pretty much everybody's business. So, I mean, first off, the announcements, chat GPT, BARD, uh, SGE, search generative experience from Google, uh, all those things are, are getting a lot of buzz right now. And ultimately, it is going to affect search patterns and, and how they come to your site. There's a good chance that users might spend more time in an AI chat-like environment before coming to your site. Um, but I think eventually they will come to your site. So, you know, I suggest right now to continue with you know, good quality contents and providing a good experience to your site because eventually they will go to your site, I believe. Um, and so, yeah, you need to work. Um, but in terms of like operational things, there's a whole bunch of stuff too. I mean, I think everybody should be using uh, AI or ChatGPT or your favorite AI tool to help augment your work. We're doing the same. Uh, we do it to help us write contents. 
one of my staff members recently wrote like a first draft of FAQs for a client. That can be like a really big step. It's like mm-hmm. maybe does 60% of the work for you. And then you can provide your expertise and knowledge on top of that. Uh, one way it does not work is you can't just say, hey, write this article for me and publish it. <laughs> you know, AI still has hallucinations. It still sure. is missing lots of stuff. Could and you explain it, what hallucinations are for AI? Oh, okay. Uh, I'm not the perfect AI expert, so don't quote me on this. But but uh, yeah, sometimes AI just invents, <laughs> you know, ChatGPT will just invent something. Like, where did this come from? I don't know. It, you know, sometimes it just creates facts that are not necessarily true. And so if you're depending only on AI-driven content, you can get in a lot of trouble if you're not careful. Yeah, I think we were, recently we wrote an article on foreign products that were successful in Japan. Mm-hmm. And it gave us this one product and like we double checked in it. It's never been in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, but now, definitely the AI tools help. Um, but you got to check, you got to provide your own expert knowledge on top of that. Otherwise, you're going to get into trouble. Excellent. Like you did a really good job of covering SEO. One of the common challenges I see with my consulting clients is not having any staff internally who can drive marketing strategy and execution to the next level. This really limits the growth trajectory of a company, especially for a leader like you that wants to go from 30 million to 500 million yen a year and does not have the time to spend years learning through trial and error. To solve this problem, I'm launching a marketing agency that can help companies like yours to increase leads and closing rates through SEO, Google Maps, content marketing, and websites that convert. Head over to scalingyourcompany.com and book a free consultation. Let's talk about what your business needs are, where your current strategy is letting you down, and how we can help you see real results with the methods I've successfully implemented at multiple companies myself. Now, back to the episode. And next, let's jump into SEM or paid listings. I know you you explained it before, but just as a recap for the people to hear it for the first time, uh, how is SEM different from SEO? Yeah, so SEM is all about paid promotions. Like I said before, if you search for any particular keyword phrase that has money behind it, in other words, people can make money off of it, usually the first two to four listings at the top are actually ads and companies pay money to get their listings on top of those ads. It's a huge business for Google. In fact, it's probably most still a majority of their revenue and a majority of their profits, just those simple text listing ads at the top of each search. Um, It's interesting what happens when people do a search though. What goes on is there at that instant, right? You hit the return key and a mini auction goes on where everybody is bidding a certain price for that keyword and Google will look at all the bids and they'll factor in other factors too, like what's the quality of your landing page and whatnot. But uh, at that instant, they'll decide who's going to rank first, second, third, and fourth for those paid listings at the top. It's pretty amazing technology when you think about it. 
but it's all about, yeah, I think PPC, pay-per-click ads, SEM, often those phrases are used interchangeably. It's, it's all about carefully bidding uh, on particular keywords. And then it's, it's all about providing the right landing page experience based on that search. Uh, and then usually the landing page experience makes some kind of offer. Hey, buy my toothpaste uh, or whatever. <laughs> and then, you know, a certain percentage of those customers will convert and pay you money. And so if you back things up, it becomes a numbers game. You know, a certain percentage will click on the listing. And by the way, the way the way Google Ads works, the way all these search engines work, you don't pay any money until the ad is clicked on. And then you'll pay a certain price per click. And it can I've seen it as cheap as 10 yen, and it can be as high <laughs> as 5,000 yen or, or more. <laughs> um, you really got to be careful. Um, but uh, you, so you pay per click, so you, you're paying for a certain amount and then you know a certain percentage of those are going to go to your cart and add it to the cart and a certain percentage of those are going to purchase. And so you have to work the numbers in reverse to decide exactly like how much you can bid for that particular keyword. Because if you bid too much, you may end up selling product at a loss. If you bid too little, uh, other people are going to bid ahead of you and your ads may never get clicked on. So uh, you got to be careful. It, it can, it's, it's a two-way sword, right? You can easily cut yourself if you're not careful. Yeah, I think, no, that's a very key warning. Uh, some of my consulting clients, like, I've seen some of them waste like 100,000 yen. Oh, no. <laughs> like, you know, they said it and forgot it. Mm -hmm. And it's like, and let's say Google just kept sending it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's the other thing, too. The other thing you got to be careful of, especially with display ads or Facebook or Instagram type ads, is like we talked about before, the intent at the time is usually quite low. And the chances of them going from a Facebook ad directly to purchase is almost zero. And so that's being generous. As well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I saw one time we were working with a client and they had a huge Facebook campaign. They're like, what's wrong with our Facebook campaign? We're not getting any conversions. And the ads look great. You know, beautiful picture. It was a $200 device Ooh. and clicked on it. And then the landing page was literally, they added the device in the cart and it's like ready to purchase. Oh my god. <laughs> like you've totally skipped a few steps oh there in the customer's journey. <laughs> no, we we optimized it. We optimized yeah. it. <laughs> uh, the ads were great. There's nothing wrong with the ads. <laughs> so uh I mean you have to be really, really careful about the flow or as you, you call it the, the customer journey there. And if you're not careful, especially with display ads and social media ads, you got to think about all the steps in between. Ask the customer to take little bitty steps. Don't ask them to, you know, hurdle a mountain uh, on the first click. And no, Jeff, you mentioned a really good point about the landing page. That's yes. often a question I get too. It's like, mm -hmm. should we do ads? It's like, no, you should change your website. 
<laughs> yeah so um unless you're selling i keep going back to toothpaste i don't know why but unless you're selling toothpaste the chances are the user will click on an ad and purchase right away is quite low um there's a good chance no matter how good your landing page is the user is going to click around your website and look for signs of trust you know and can i trust you are you an expert in this field all these things they'll especially japanese here's a japanese tip for you japanese users much more likely than western counterparts will go to what's called the kaisha gaio page the about us the company info page they're going to check that and see if you're a valid business and they're going to look at all that crazy info in there like how much capital did you have when you started <laughs> and who are your bank accounts and who are your trustees or whatever um dumb info i know but people do check it and so yeah it's it's wise to put that in there oh and uh since you're an expert in this area too, like what should be the balance between uh, paid listings on Google versus SEO? <laughs> yeah, ooh. that's going to get the uh, consulting answer. <laughs> it depends. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But ideally, what you want, we've done this with one client. He totally owns this one keyword. We are, we've got ads at the top to push everybody else further down the page. And then uh, he ranks number one and number two in organic listings. And nice. like number three and four are articles where he's quoted in or compared to. <laughs> <laughs> so that's your ideal scenario. When you can own a good percentage of the real estate on a search page for your target keyword, that's where you want to be. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Because yeah, if the SM SEO, it, it does get really complicated just for the audience listeners. Like uh, one example is, so the, the English school, my school, uh, OneCoin English, uh, we have competitors who, you know, if you type in OneCoin English, they'll pay for an ad so that their ad appears when you search. For yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, no, definitely it is. It goes deep, the battle, the battle yes. for the top of Google. Yes, yes, yes. Um, people bidding on other people's branded keywords is kind of an evil thing. I'm really surprised Google would let you do that. But, you know, Google is in business of taking money from ads, so so they let you do that. Now, yeah. a good strategy to compete with that, uh, sometimes just bidding a little bit uh, on your own brand name can raise the price of theirs. There's a quality score factor that's that's put in. So often those competitor ads are very expensive to click on, but you could bid on your own brand at a much cheaper price, which actually raises the price of the competitors. And in some cases, it makes them no longer financially feasible to bid on your brand name or your brand keyword. And when you're competing for really highly competitive and lucrative search terms, you know, it, it is a battle, literally. Yes, yes, it is. You, and once again, you really got to be careful. It's, it's all a numbers game. You got to look at the data and spreadsheets and figure out, you know, with proper attribution and really understand if this ad campaign is feasible or not. In your case, uh, you know, I've introduced friends to you. They've been very happy with your service. I have clients who, you know, they've outsourced their paid listings to another company and like, I'll check it. And like, I'm like, this company isn't doing anything. <laughs> like, they're just collecting a paycheck. But 
so I've, I've seen like, you know, the scammy stuff but, and like your guys and is, you know, the, you know, I've seen how you work where like you go real, you really try to understand the client and how to help them. But I guess for the general question would be for the listener is, so if they do want to work with an agency, you know, like yourself, how can they tell the difference between a good and maybe not as good agency? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think in terms of like, what's a good agency, what's not a good agency. First of all, a good agency will deliver an effective monthly report each month that clearly details uh, what's going on. Um, I think the better agencies will give you feedback every month too about, hey, we noticed this trend here. And so that points to this landing page, which could be better. We recommend changing X, Y, and Z. So I think the quality of reporting is a big thing. They should obviously know the numbers if it's paid ads you know, click-through rates, cost per click, uh, cost to acquire, uh, all those metrics they should know off the top of their heads. Let's see, what else can they do? As you think about it, like, yeah, so in my client's case, uh, they were sending my client automated reports through, uh, I think, the Google, it used to be Mm -hmm. Google Data Center, or Google Data Visuals. Right. But, What's it called? Looker and, now or something? It was called Data yeah. Google Data Studio before. Yeah. yeah, Data. Yeah, you're right. Data Studio. Mm-hmm. But so I think when your your point being like, do they give you customized feedback? Yeah. That's yeah. So our approach is a little bit different. Um, we honestly don't use such reporting tools because, as you said, after a while, you just get lulled into a sense of complacency. Oh, yeah, there's some data in there. I guess it's okay. Um, <laughs> so uh, I, you know, I encourage my staff to like, no, I want screenshots in analytics or Google AdWords with, you know, point out this number and why it's bad for the client and, and how it can be improved. That's what I push the, oh, our God, team members yeah. to do. Yeah. yeah, and that's what impressed when uh, when I saw you guys in action, uh, just about uh, explanation to the customer. Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't just about getting the sale. It's also making sure they understand. Yeah, that's the other thing, too. A good agency will explain things to you in a way that you can understand. I think that's another important thing. Yeah, a final thought, too, is uh, over time, especially for PPC ads and also for SEO, you should see a continual improvement over time. If you're not seeing continual improvement, it might be time to move on to a different agency. Cool. Yeah, thanks for covering that. Yes, I guess my last thing would be, uh, where can people find you? And do you have any asks for the audience? So our agency is Zoe Digital Japan. It's zodigital.jp. I'm Jeff Crawford. I can be found on LinkedIn. So please hook up with me. I'm not really active on Twitter. Also, in terms of a call to action, I if you're in the Tokyo area or even visiting, I encourage you to join the Tokyo Digital Marketers Meetup. We're on meetup.com or at least get on the mailing list and come to an event sometime. We'd be happy to meet you. I highly recommend it. And you... Uh... And if you're there, say hello to Jeff and also Haken. That's right. My full-time staff member. Cool. Thanks so much, Jeff. Thanks, Tyson. It's been great talking to you.